episode 44. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks. This is a very special episode in which we are going to be discussing pretty much as a whole the four-issue IDW uh, comic book series called Star Trek Countdown, which this is basically the prequel, the the leader up to the new movie that's going to be coming out, what is it, May 8th, I believe. Um, I'm your co-freak, Scott Gardner, and with me, as always, is my co-freak, Chris Honeywell. <laughs> How's it going? So Chris Hello is there. the one that... that uh, what's that? Hello there. Yeah. So Chris is the one that, that got me into this whole thing. Um, as, as you're probably aware by now, I was... I, I'm... Very nervous about the upcoming Star Trek movie. I want to be anxious about it. I want to enjoy it, but I've just the more I hear about it and the more I've learned about it, I, I'm just I've been super super nervous about it. So when Chris, you know, started telling me about this and saying, you know, you got to read this, you know, it's really exciting and you know it's interesting and blah blah blah. The more I heard about it, the more. I was kind of intrigued, but certain story elements of it just kind of made me think, yeah, that doesn't sound any better than the new movie. But that just might finally, have been my failure as a, in relaying the story correctly. Well, yeah, I think it's just a matter of it really is a story that you, I think you just have to read to appreciate it because, you know, well, all right, before we go any farther, spoiler alert, you know, if you haven't read this, and we're not doing like an in-depth analysis as far as like panel by panel or issue by issue or even, you know, the story recap as right. a whole. However, if you haven't read it, I just got to throw it out there. Spoiler alert. I mean, we can't talk about this thing without giving parts of it away. So, you know, if you haven't read it and you intend to read it and you don't want to be spoiled, then this isn't the show for you. Come back and listen later after you've read it. This is your only warning. So anyway, you know, one of the things I remember you telling me about was the thing. I think you just literally said, you know, something about, you know, well, the, you know, the universe is going to blow up, which Basically. sounded just stupid. But, you know, then you read the story and they, they do it in such a way that 
it it does come off. It does work, and it doesn't sound totally ridiculous. You know, like like it probably should. Like I said, but, you know, <laughs> like but, I you know, it. just the idea of one supernova is going to cause a chain reaction that's going to basically destroy the universe just sounds like a completely ridiculous idea, but somehow they're making it work to where, what is it? As this supernova builds in intensity and destroys things, whatever it destroys is is feeding it basically. So it just keeps going. It just, I think it just keeps building on itself. Yeah. And just becomes, you know, sort of snowballs maybe as it, as it moves across the gal. I don't know if it was like, threatening the universe as much as the galaxy but basically it was going to engulf uh romulus and make it all the way to vulcan and earth potentially or pretty much they figured you know well, event- maybe- eventually earth and vulcan were going to be destroyed so that's why they're both involved in trying to s- stop this and contain it Maybe that's just one of those Star Trek isms, because Star Trek, one of my major pet peeves with Star Trek, and it's been this way for a long, long time, is you would think that a show so, you know, steeped in science fact and really trying to get its shit straight when it comes to, you know, science fact and projecting science fiction to try to tie it into something that could be possible, that they would really work hard to keep straight terms like solar systems and galaxies and universes, but they don't really. They they use them almost interchangeably. Yeah, and that's always bugged the shit out of me. So, yeah, you're probably right, and they probably meant, you know, that, that this thing was jeopardizing our galaxy. However, I know that there was at least one instance where Spock specifically said universe, that right. it threatened the universe, which that seems that's, – that's pu- everything. Pushing my credibil- yeah. yeah, that's pushing my credibility bounds to the, to the absolute limit. But the galaxy, you know, that's, you know, that's an interesting concept that, that something had happened, you know, that, that was you – know, that, that's a hell of you – know, that's a big enough threat. You don't have to throw in universe – to try to impress me, you know, the, the galactic thing was, was plenty big enough, but yeah, Star Trek has, has always done that, you know, use the, you know, they're going to go to another galaxy. Well, no, you know, they're not, they can't even manage the one they've got, you know, they only ever explore just a a corner of it. So I, I wish that, that that's one of those things they'd, you know, they'd clear up and, and get their, their terms straight when it comes to something like that. Right. But, but uh, I just finished this today, and and that's why I, you know I pitched this idea to you of uh, of talking about this as a special episode because uh, I gotta say, man, I was impressed. I I really enjoyed the book. You know the I liked the art. It didn't blow me away, but it was it was good Star Trek art. Yeah, you know, it, it serviced solid. the story. Yeah, it was solid. Exactly. You know the 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 characters. You know the. The characters that we've met before, you know, like Spock and uh, and you know, Picard and some other ones, they looked like who they were supposed to be. You know, they they favored the the actors' likenesses and stuff like that. The ships especially looked really good. You know, the Enterprise really looked good. I liked some of the perspective angles and stuff. But the art or the uh, story rather was really that was the thing that that really captured me was I, I like just where it's going. I, I like 
the story it told and I like where it leaves us, you know, leading into the movie. And I can even see that this leads into the movie just by the images I've seen in the, in the trailer, you know, there's yes. at least one image right away. That's directly out of the, the end of this story, you know, with, uh, with, uh, what's his name? Nero's, Nero's ship, ship. Mm-hmm. being sucked into a, a black hole at the end and that image either being sucked in or being spit out is in the trailer. So I, I'm pretty yes. excited that it looks like this really is, you know, not just some, you know, four issue little mini series thing tie in that doesn't really, doesn't really affect anything or doesn't really tie in. I mean, it looks like it really does directly lead right into the movie. And that's pretty neat. It could be, it could be, you know, they've done this before. You know, they, as in comic books or anything in general, has done this before where they've tried to make, you know, maybe a little comic miniseries here where all of a sudden all the characters are reunited and, it, you know, everybody gets their little scene. And, and that sort of happens in this. And it can usually be really stupid, almost the equivalent of uh, maybe a clip show. You know what I mean? You know, right. It's like, hey, here's here's Data. And hey, then Picard shows up and it's Worf. It's Geordi. You know, and all of a sudden, all these important players. But it's done very deftly in this, and it's all done very. It's it's it feels Star Trek. You know, it has that Star Trek feel about it. You can almost hear the music in the background and see how it would be, you know, portrayed in in a in a movie or on the TV show. You know, it just has that feel of Star Trek about it, and uh, the way the characters. You know, what has happened to the characters before, you know, like, I mean, Data's back from the dead. Spock is, we've known Spock was a Romulan ambassador, but now he lives there and, you know, the sort of scandal of, of that. And um, it's well, this very takes well done. A good many years past the last Plus, time we saw any of these characters, which right. we, that was an angle that I really liked, too. Yeah, and um, and it's done, it's done well because I don't know how much this was done in conjunction with, say, the screenwriters. How much the people in the comics know about what happens in the movie, or if they told them, "All right, you just have to get it to the point of where this happens," or they gave them a rough outline or something like that. It's 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 done very naturally. You know, it's not forced. These characters being together and um, and being involved in this situation makes sense. And, and and it also doesn't have that spinning wheels feel of something that can't really do too much because it can't mess with the continuity of the upcoming movie and nobody knows what happens in the movie anyway. It It feels like, you know, maybe the writers of the movie were like, it feels like this is integrated completely into the plot of the movie. It, it, it definitely makes you feel like when you go to see this movie, you're probably going to have a little head start from reading the comic book. And I don't know. I think a lot. Of, I think pretty much all the comic book fans and hardcore Star Trek fans will have read the comic book before they go to see the movie. Yeah, I mean... That was definitely the feel I got from this. You know, this is far from the first time that that we've had something that was supposed to be 
a movie tie-in, whether you know it was a prequel that was supposed to lead into the movie or right. things that were supposed to lead out or you know unofficial sequels in comic book form or whatever. Yeah. And I, I've read a lot of those over the years. This is the first one I can recall that I ever felt like, wow, this is really important that this really is the setup. This is directly where this movie's picking up from this. I, I almost feel like I'm going to have a, a real leg up on the average yes. viewer going into this because I, I'm getting the the full deal on, you know, where the movie's going to start, you know, so you, yeah, you already on, know on one of the motivations of the villains. Right. So I, I, you know, unless they're going to somehow, recap this miniseries beginning with the movie. I almost wonder now how the movie's going to start, you know, because it, it already feels like, you know, like the movie's going to start halfway into the story just by where this ends off. So I'm curious about that, but I really felt like this was written, you know, specifically for, for me or, you know, the fan like me who's nervous, you know, who who's afraid that, it's not going to fit just into gonna, the established universe. Yeah. Well, you know, that that this is just going to piss all over my Star Trek, you know, and and I have to say that this helped alleviate a lot of that nervous feeling I because knew it would. It did for me too, and and I yeah. couldn't wait to tell you about this too because I knew like from watching the ads on 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 TV, it's it was working both ways, but I'm but I was I was jazzed just in a curious sense about the about you know about the movie you know just out of curiosity knowing full well in my heart that it could turn into a, something terrible and you seem just more re- resigned to it you know you were just, you seem just more ready to ready to not like it so reading this i thought i'm like this this will hopefully hopefully alleviate some of his fears because it seems to be that a concession that yes, this takes place in the Star Trek universe and has something to do, you know, and I mean, I didn't even have to know that it has to do with, with Spock and Picard, that Spock, Picard, Data are all not, you know, Spock's intimately involved. The rest of them are sort of tangentially involved, but I didn't need to know that those specific characters were, but just that it fit in with that world and, right, exactly. And the way they fit it in with this, and uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, by the end of this, this character has a big old, big fat beef with Spock. So, if he goes, if he ends up, which you know, uh, I mean, it's obvious he's going to end up going. It's going to be a time sort of thing where he ends up back, you know, in in Spock and Kirk's early days at the uh, Starfleet Academy. You know, I mean, it's not a very hard thing to think that he could think, oh, Terminator, Terminator style, hey, if I take out Spock, I could get my revenge that way. It's right. sort of a twisted... I mean, he's an insane villain. He's And there's also, I noticed, a little thing that they start here that I think is going to work into the movie that's very Star Trek. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is Spock mentions at one point, you know, this guy's not a bad guy. He's not an evil guy. He's doing evil things, but he's just been driven crazy by the circumstances. You know, he's right. not. So, so, so it's a, going to be. It's not going to be one of those villains that's pure evil. Even Khan was. You know, Khan had a good. Be, had a legitimate beef with Kirk. 
and it drove him nuts, you know. And this this character is sort of similar to that. He's been driven nuts by a horrible tragedy. So, you know, there might be, and, and that's very Star Trek thing that, you know, there might be, you know, he might be reachable and, you know, he might even come around by the end of, you know, Kirk might even bring him around by the end of the movie, you know, or who knows, or, or he may redeem himself in some way. But there's sort of that sort of setup in in this comic that that there's some sort of possible redemption for the Nero character. It's possible. It's possible. I, I, you know, it all depends he, on how much not... the writers of the comic knew about what happens in the movie, you know. And they seem to be keeping this movie under super lock and lockdown, you know. So who knows? I almost wonder if uh, if the comic is done in conjunction with I mean I didn't look I don't know who the writers on the new movie are I right. didn't look it up but I almost went cuz the co- the credits in the comic list like something like plot or something and then they list writers ah. and they're completely different so I wonder if maybe the the comic people and the uh, and the movie people some of those same creators might be on both projects so that right. it really is closely tied in rather than just you know, a, a licensed property. You know, like like when Marvel did Star Wars, right. for example. You know, they, they, said, they bought the rights to do you know stories, but they they never knew what the hell Lucasfilm was going to do. You know, with right. with subsequent movie because uh, you know sometimes the stuff didn't match up. Whereas this, I, I very much get the feel that that the guys writing this, they know exactly what's going on with the movie, and and they're basically you know being given the direction yeah. to go with this because I, I, I really did get the feel that that this is aimed at the longtime yep. Star Trek fan that's nervous as hell about what's gonna happen and and written to maybe you know to to alleviate some fear but also to ease you into what's gonna happen. Because I, I still think it's a little bit of hands across America. Old Star <laughs> Trek, new Star Trek, you know, join hands. We're well, all, you know, I, I star, think that we're, we're still Star headed, Trek, man. We're still headed for a reboot, I think. However, you know, there, there, there may be ways to to ease people into that. You know, people like me that are super anal retentive about these kind of things. Yeah. To ease us into it, to where you know we may never love it, you know, but we could be made to to accept, accept it. it if it was done in particular ways. And I mean. I mean, I don't want people to think that I'm predisposed to just utterly hate this movie just because it's not, you know, William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy. No, I mean, that's impossible. Granted, period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I mean, I I'm not predisposed to hate on it. I mean, if it's a good movie, it's a good movie, and I want to enjoy it. But it's just there's certain things that have to happen. This miniseries has already helped a lot of what I wanted that transition to be it's already helped it happen for me that i feel right off the bat that this is a love letter to star trek that they're saying look we we don't hate star trek we're we're not wanting to ditch everything that came before look we're showing you how much we love it because look how steeped we are in in the mythos right in these four issues and man it, it really was i mean they knew their shit going into this they, not, they not only knew their past but they it's written in a way that that 
you can tell it's somebody who's intimate with the way Star Trek feels. You know, it's it's not a cobbled together story. It's a Star Trekky story. It has Star Trek themes in it of you know of it of friend of enemies becoming friends of of Spock. You know, Spock is you know the Romulans are now starting to like sort of be softened up into the world of all the other races, you know, so there's now Spock is there to help that advancement, you know, there's, it's, it's the advance, it's the constant advancement of life, you know, of life constantly becoming, um, more, I, I don't know, civilized or advanced or just, um, enlightened, you know? Right. So, and, and that, and, and, and that runs through this and uh I yeah, I just I like that the the um the the dogfight bat not really dogfights, but your Star Trek equivalent of dogfight space battles are very uh feel very Star Trekky. Mm-hmm. Um everything. The whole way the plot advances, the whole way the characters are are introduced. Now what I'm wondering is there's an equivalent series for the Terminator movie, a little uh, prequel series, and I think it's IDW too. And I'm yep. wondering, yeah, it uh, is. I'm wondering if maybe uh, we should track those down and see if those. Uh... Now, I, m- me personally, be having no, not being a Christian Bale fan, but not really having anything against him, I'm looking forward to the new Terminator movie. I'm. I I might suffer from having high expectations at that one, whereas Terminator Three I had low expectations and loved it. Maybe I'm getting high on the expectation for the new Terminator, but I'm loving the TV show, and I've I've been loving the previews for the new Terminator. You, on the other hand, have not been. It hasn't impressed you at all. I've noticed. No. <laughs> I, I just don't have any interest in it, you know. I, I, I don't that, get me that wrong. That baffles I love, me. That baffles me because I, I, I where love is it, the, what went wrong. Nothing's well, gone wrong yet. I love the yet. property. I love the property, and I, I enjoyed, you know, all three movies. You know, I, I love the original one. Terminator Two is okay. It has its moments. Terminator Three was all right. It was not near as good as the first two. I'm loving the TV show because it, it to me it's it's it restored a lot of where I thought they misstepped in the second movie. It basically wrote around the third movie so that you know if if you liked it it's you know you can still have it but if you didn't like it then it's basically written out. You know and, it, and it's much closer in ter- in tone for me to the original movie that I love so much. So I almost feel like the fourth one, it, for one, I feel like it's not needed. But I just I look at the the ads for that, and it just looks really bad. It looks really cheesy and like uh, not that Could I didn't be. like the movie, but it looks very Road Warrior ish to me. It just well, it, it looks sort of in that world. And, yeah, see, I don't want to see. I, I don't want to see that futuristic John Connor post-apocalyptic world done road warrior style. I mean, we saw what it was supposed to look like in the, in the first movie and it didn't look anything like that. It was more of, you know, the, the machines 
were everywhere and it was the bombed out right post nuclear dark future you know with all these and it didn't look like well yeah i think that one was further i think this is like right you know within a couple years after the bombs have gone off i think this is like directly i think this is like john connor's entry into i think this is going to be his entry into the into the terminator world and how he becomes intimate with the terminators because yes. that's the thing that's, and it's been and it's no. been built up during the tv show that 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 people are starting to even question john connor because the only people he really trusts at one point it's mentioned that the only people he really trusts are terminators so they're they're, they're sort of building up to that so i have a feeling this is going to be like john connor trying to like become you know figuring maybe the only way to to um beat skynet is to make peace with it somehow so there might there there might be an aspect of that and and it's going to be the whole aspect of you know the the conscious is is skynet uh you know becoming conscious or becoming, you know, developing emotions. So I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to sound shallow, but I mean, there's just no other way to to put it. I mean, sometimes casting can can make or break a movie for me, and I just, I cannot stand Christian Bale. I, See, think, I think he's, he's a shit actor. I think he's a good I, actor. I think in the Batman movies. I think he was directed kind of shoddily in him. I think he was told to, you know, he 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 was, or somehow he he did Dirty Harry, you know. He did the Dirty Harry Batman, but he tried to do he Dirty tried Harry. To, but um, um, I'm trying to think of the movie now, the one that was entirely cut, reverse that he was in that that the same director that did Batman did. It was sort of his big breakout movie. That's a great movie. Um, and now I can't, <laughs> of course, remember the, the name of it. It was the guy who had no short-term memory. He forgot everything very much like me. Memento, that was the name of it, Memento. But, but I thought that was a very good movie, and I thought Christian Bale was good in that. He sure pitches a great fit on stage, or on, you know, on the set. He pitches Shatner like... Hissy fit, so you can't. That's very entertaining. You, you know, I can't. Um... Well, bringing it back to Star Trek. Oh yeah, Star but Trek. But also, but also talking about you know actors that that don't exactly work for me. I hope that uh, what's his name is it Banaugh? Eric Banaugh, the the villain in this one. Oh yeah, yeah. I hope that he pulls off. A performance equal to the way that this character was written in this four issue mini because I liked him. Yeah. In the in the mini, and I'm nervous that I won't He's like him. He's introduced as a hero I, in the mini. Yeah. See, I don't like that actor. I don't. I haven't been particularly impressed he with him in anything. He doesn't seem very tough. Him. He doesn't seem very much like a tough guy in it. You know, or his his. The way he comes off is 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 a little soft, but the character in this wasn't a sort wasn't really a rough and tough guy necessarily. But he's just gone crazy. But you know, you, 
I would almost picture him being like adding a little more Vin Diesel to him, you know, you know, not to encourage Vin Dieselness, but you know what I mean, a little more rugged, a little more ruggedness, because he he's he's just got that he doesn't have that tough guy sort of thing, and the weird tattoo thing doesn't make him look tough either. It just makes him look a little weird. I'm At glad that that was previews. explained and and actually made to fit because I remember right. the first images we ever got and they were like, okay, here's the new enemy and he's a Romulan and everybody flipped. They were like, whoa, wait a minute, what's Romulans with the tattoos? Don't have you know? weird. Yeah, Romulans don't have this. They don't look like Darth Maul and it was all explained in this mini in, in a pretty, you know, acceptable way. So, you know, I, I'm past that one now. That's That's one more nitpick out of the way. So I like right. that. But you know my my thing with the the character my nervousness with the character going into the movie is that I came to really like the character in the mini I'm just a I'm nervous for who the character's being handed off to to be portrayed by in the movie because I just I just have never been impressed with this guy you know he he always seems like a block of wood to me so I I'm nervous that you know of of how he's going to Make a character that I've come to, you know, well, think looks, is interesting. It looks like how he he's going to continue to keep him interesting. It looks like he gets a chance to. It looks like he's going to be a scenery chewer in it, or at least he gets a chance to be. It looks like he gets a lot of, you know, fire all weapon, fire everything type of lines. So, yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, there's that brief scene. He looks like he's fighting hand to hand with Kirk on whatever that platform is in the skydiving scene it looks like or something it's hard to tell what's going on in the movie you know I hope it's not one of those movies that the preview makes it well actually it doesn't matter if it, you know it might be, the preview might make the movie seem more action-packed than it really is because previews can be especially with science fiction movies because Remember the previews to episode one? Like seeing the first previews to episode one, oh, yeah. I was just like, blew my mind. Was like literally mind blowing. I was just like, oh my god, nothing can be that good. You know, that is super. You know, I can see this being, you know, the ultimate in Star Wars from the way that 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 was cut and the and the way it was presented so that that could be the same here they could be putting all the you know all the most spectacular action shots crammed into two, the two minute and a half thing and the rest of it could be exposition but that would be okay for me i don't care if my star treks get a little talky it's as long as the characters are in character and you know and uh it has the right feel i don't care I, i'll watch i'll watch them you know um, go down to the file room and re and alphabetize all the files. You know, <laughs> I would prefer yeah. to see them fighting and and everything, but I would still watch that if it was written well. And so, you know, I don't care if it's you know more action packed or whatever. I just hope they, I just hope they get the characters right. You know, I mean, Kirk can be different than the Kirk we know. He has to be different because he's younger. And, you know, would have the necessary flaws and um, inexperience that a younger and, you know, unforged 
metal of the the young Kirk, but he's still got to be Kirk. And it's funny to me, like I, I have no worry about an actor being able to portray Spock. I'm not worried about you know whoever's gonna do Spock because. It's sort of a thing you can do. He's a Vulcan. He's got that flat sort of machine-like quality to him. And if you can get the look right and just put that little bit of personality that Nimoy would put in, you know, to make sure that you knew he was half-human, then you can get away with him. And no, and nobody seems to be, like, worried about about Spock. It's Kirk that everybody's worried about. And uh, just more testament to Shatner. Uh, I'm worried about Spock only from the angle of, you know, he he was a character that, you know, you, you came to really feel for and empathize with and all that. So I, I hope that that oh, yeah. quality of him is not lost. You know, I, th- in, I think in, he was like the character that became the focus, you know, when Star Trek was in the first and second generation of original Star Trek, you know, from when it originally was shown and then when it was in syndication like when we were kids you know the second generation of syndication um Spock was my favorite character if I was with a bunch of my friends and we were playing Star Trek everybody wanted to be Spock which is funny because you'd think everybody would want to be the captain because that's usually how it is with a bunch of kids playing but everybody wanted to be Spock because Spock was just way more interesting than any human no matter how I didn't get to really learn to appreciate Kirk till like high school, and then it was in an almost ironic, like funny way. But still, you know, grudging respect. But you know, I mean, I mean, just the the sheer hilariousness of some of Shatner's performances in a good way. You know, we used to laugh at Kirk, but it was in we laughed because we loved. But, um. You know, Spock was the main focus, and he doesn't seem to be. There doesn't seem to be as big of a hoopla about Spock as there is about Kirk in this new movie. And the same. I do think though that Spock. I do think though that Spock is a lot of the focus of the story. Of this particular movie, yes, I think so too. I think he'll be a, a huge part of it, and. The actor who plays Spock has an extra um, little hard aspect of it because he's going to be in the same movie with Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> so you're going to see right. the original Spock too. He better he better really come off as being a young Spock if he wants people to believe it. So it's going to be harder. But still, to me, I'm more concerned with with the Kirk. Although I got to say, I've watched those Star Trek Phase Two or you know the the new Star Trek that those those fans are making and that guy is like the guy who plays Kirk is pretty good but he's not ex- you know he's his build is different you know you can but I still could watch the episode and appreciate it and go I'm watching a Star Trek episode and enjoy it you know so I know that I can if something is just sufficiently has the 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 right atmosphere of Star Trek that I can watch it and enjoy it and appreciate it as Star Trek and even accept it into the Star Trek universe whatever that's fine but uh I don't know with a movie it's going to I I my ex- expectations are less from a fan-made 
production, you know. Just that they've gotten episodes done is enough to applaud them on that. Much right. less that they've, much less that they've also, you know, lured original writers and producers and actors into it. That's that's pretty impressive too. So that contributes to it. Whereas the movie is, you know, somebody acquired the rights to it, put in the money, and put it together. It's not a, a scrappy underdog production that I might feel like I want to root for or something. I'm more liable to be suspicious of it being a money-grubbing ploy of Hollywood to to uh, separate me from $10 of my hard-earned money. And I do earn my money the hard way. So, now, uh, do you, what do you think... Alright. Assuming that, that this is... A, a reboot based on the fact that Nero comes back in time and messes with something. What is the something that he messes with? Do you think that that causes, you know, the that you know Kirk and Spock and McCoy still come together and there's still an Enterprise and all that? Yet it's slightly off. I don't know. But do you- I don't know if they're gonna even go for that. They might just go for like. You know, it's just back in time. They might not be like this is. Although, you know, I'm I'm trying to think maybe that the <coughs> it's on an alternate timeline because of the. You know, it depends on whether how nitpicky they're going to be. Are they going to be nitpicky enough to be like, ah, uh, you know, McCoy and Kirk weren't on the Enterprise from the beginning. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, there was another doctor on there, or maybe they'll explain it. Maybe Kirk and McCoy will be together in the academy. You know, who knows what timeline? Who knows if he ever even makes it? You, you never. You, I I don't know if I've seen the Enterprise is in it, right? I know the Enterprise is in the movie, but who knows if it's maybe just a, a shot of it at the end? Who know? You know, it might. The whole thing might take place on with Kirk on a training ship. You know, so he might end up getting on the Enterprise, and McCoy doesn't come in till later, or something like that. So they might try to like match everything up with a with a super continuity nitpicky in mind, but I doubt it. They, I think it would be more likely that they wouldn't try and explain it off as being on an alternate timeline, but they'll just gloss over, you know, that or 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 the fact this is one of the first things you pointed out was. The Enterprise was built in space, you know. It was it was put together in space. That's just part of the known Star Trek canon. You know, it's been mentioned several times in several different places, and yet there's a, a scene of apparently the Enterprise being built like in the middle of a field. So right, you know, I have a feeling they're just gonna gloss over stuff like that, and just. You pretend that, you know, that the only people that, you know, notice are the people who are the nitpickers. So you think that maybe this isn't a reboot, that they're actually supposed to be headed back to... I think it might be the, the early... Actual, yeah, I think it might be actually the actual physical Kirk that ends up being William Shatner, you know, later on. And hmm. I, think, I think it'll actually be within the same... 
timeline. It's just they're they're just younger versions, and they'll just gloss over that they don't look exactly the same. You know, that it's not the same actors because really, what are you gonna do? You know, computer animation hasn't gotten to the point where you could re- you could simulate somebody with a computer, but it would be so expensive to do it for the whole run of a film and make everybody buy it that it's not feasible at this point. So. Really, what can you do? You, the the old actors are fat or dead, so fat, old, and and or dead. So what are you gonna do? You know, and so they'll just take it as that. That's this is Scotty now. You know, and uh, maybe it, 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 who knows how they're gonna approach the future of the franchise if they're gonna try to, uh, you know, just do. I mean, could the franchise be just sort of like episodes of Star Trek <laughs> taking place in the in the original series timeline? I mean, that would be fine by me. And and I would also accept that the Enterprise looks different, you know, than the TV show or whatever, you know. I can I can gloss over that if that's the, the way it is and it's still supposed to be the same reality but they're not in the original sets of I, you know I can see not doing that which they're obviously not I've seen pictures from the inside of it and stuff you know that was a point I did already concede because you know that was actually strangely a, a, a point that didn't push my anal retentive continuity button because I think you have to accept that I right. mean, if this right. is going to be a big screen adventure, even yeah. if they went back to the minute that the Corbamite Maneuver episode was over and they were doing a movie that took place five minutes later after that, I think you would still have to have a refurbished Enterprise with a, yeah. you know, you because have- it... You can have that sick bay with boom, boom, because yeah. our technology has gone beyond... Mm-hmm. The the stuff that you know the the way things work all the computers and everything is just way too big and way too clunky for for that technology to sell you know okay and and when you watch the TV that's why people have imagination so they can watch the old TV show and just take it as it what it is in the context and from the time period that it's in and. Yeah, I, I, I think they're not going to as much reboot as they're going to just try to do the early years. You know, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers. That's what I would do. Why why try to reboot it? Why try to change it, you know, at all? Because there's no real reason to. And you could even do... You can do stuff leading up to... You could do... You know, and if, if these actors start getting too old... You could get a whole bunch of new actors and start doing the next generation <laughs> as as younger characters, you know, if you really wanted to. Well, see, my thing is, I don't want to. I don't want people to go, "Oh, he's backpedaling. He's backpedaling." I don't want to sound like I'm backpedaling, but I've come to this realization that, you know, I would rather them do it the way we're talking about, to where it's. N- not a reboot, but there's some things that you're just going to have to fucking get over that they don't match up. Like, you know, like McCoy being there from the beginning, you know, and it not being Dr. Uh, whatever the hell his name was, Boyce or whatever, you know, the, that uh, that maybe Gary Mitchell 
won't be there. Chekhov will be there. Things like that. I would rather just have to just, you know, gag and, and throw my inner geek in a closet for a while and get over that shit and just enjoy the movie right. because because I it, it wasn't fully rebooted. I'd rather do that. It, it's kind of the same syndrome as, you know, how a lot of us look back now and think, you know, we shouldn't have bitched and complained. Well, I, I can't count myself in this because I wasn't part of the whole phenomenon, but... Right. You know, fans bitched and complained and cried and had a fit and everything else over the whole Spider Clone saga in Spider Man a few years ago. And I don't oh, know if right. you kept up with it or not, but Vaguely. basically, what, what the deal was was that <coughs> they they brought the this Spider Clone back into continuity. He had supposedly died back in I think it was like seventy five <coughs> or something like that. It was way back years and years ago in Spider-Man comics where Spider-Man had been cloned and and the clone eventually died and Peter tested himself and it was revealed he was the real Spider-Man and all that. Well, they they brought the clone back years later. This was sometime in the 90s and decided that Spider-Man had gotten too far away from what made Spider-Man great. So what they were going to do was reveal that the Spider-Man that we had been following for you know like 15 years or better at this point was actually the clone and the guy that came back was the original spider-man and they were basically going to to bump him back you know like x amount of years and the spider-man that that was married to mary jane and that basically we had come to know was the clone and they were going to just basically spin him off and kind of shoo him off into some forgotten realm of, you know, Spider-Man continuity. And the fans went fucking ape shit over this, right? You know, most of them went just crazy. How dare you just write off all this continuity and you're messing it up and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? In retrospect, I know a lot of fans that have, you know, with what they eventually did, with Spider-Man and Mary Jane selling their souls to Mephisto and all that shit right. and annulling their marriage and setting continuity back 20 years, you know, that that now they look at it and go, you know what, we should have just shut up and accepted the whole Spider-Clone thing because while it might have not been what we wanted, it's a hell of a lot better than what we got. I'm going to approach this Star Trek movie much the same way. As long as it's not a reboot, I'm going to try my damnedest to get past the little things, you know, the, you know, like, you know, like I said before, you know, the thing with McCoy and the thing with Gary Mitchell and Chekhov and some of these other little things, I'm going to work to get past that shit as long as they're not just saying, you know, that that they're not pulling the the Casino Royale treatment, you know, to where it's all new all over right. again We're starting it right from scratch nothing ever happened anything right. that happens in the future we're going to build instead of right and i i definitely I get the feeling yeah i don't either now now that i've read this and maybe i'm just wrong maybe i'm being you know led down that path but <laughs> i'm just getting the feeling having read this that you know it, it really has helped to to qualm a lot of my fears of of where this movie was headed and I find myself, for the first time since the announcement of this and the and the trailers and all that, for the first time, I'm actually starting to feel 
a little bit excited about this. You know, that, that I actually might go Enjoy see it. this movie and not fucking hate it. You know, that, that I might actually be able to, to watch it, get something out of it and, and walk away from it going, all right, you know, that, that was pretty, you know, that was pretty I, okay. I would be, so, vi- I mean, I can't tell you how ecstatic I'll be if I walk away, f- if I walk away from this and I'm looking forward to a new st- Star Trek movie, it's going to be a hap, hap, happy day. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, there's that, the, the potential's there. And, you know, I hate getting led down the primrose path, but maybe, yeah, I, I feel the same way, guardedly optimistic. Yeah, that's a, and, that's a good way to describe it, guardedly optimistic. And, uh, well, I mean, how how awesome is it, really, if if this movie ends up appeasing you and I and fans like us and, and also listen to – I mean all the people out there, like, like, like guys like Brian Deemer who have come right out and said many times, fucking hate Star Trek. It's boring. It doesn't do anything for me. It's just a bunch of talking, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've actually heard this guy saying he's excited for this movie. He, uh-huh. he wants to go see it. I think that's awesome if they do it this way to where they're not throwing me away in the hopes of luring somebody like him in, if they're embracing both of us, if they're basically saying, yes, we want to hold on to you old guys that, that have grown up with this and that love it and cherish it. However, let's tweak it a little bit to where, you know, it brings in some of the people who, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, I'll use like a Disney park analogy. You know, Disney's walking that 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 tight wire act at their parks right now, where they're trying to hold on to the old school fans who like the old fashioned dark rides and things right. like that. But they're also, you know, occasionally they'll bring in you know the the fancy new roller coaster because they want to get the young kids that are all about the thrill rides. That's kind of how this movie may actually be shaping up to do. Is that they're they're trying to to, to hold on to as much of that core Star trek yeah. as possible, they, yet they got to tweak it. They got to do something right. to, to, to draw in the thrill seekers, the, the Star Wars generation. Well, you here's know, the, the thing. It's totally possible to do that. If you keep the core of it correctly, you can tweak it almost. I mean, Next Generation was proof of that. Next Generation... Definitely, it improved upon Star Trek and the special effects, and let's face it, in the writing and acting in a lot of ways. Right. Um, although it still had that layer of cheese because it was a TV show under, and it still had to fight for its budget then too. But um, um, you know, it, it, it built upon it, and there was a little more. There wasn't really more action in in. Star Trek The Next Generation, but sometimes when there was action, it was more on a Star Wars level. And the spin-offs all to some degree followed that, you know, they they would they would they would build build upon it. And this there's definitely a lot of cheese in Star Trek that doesn't necessarily have to be there that you could potentially make I don't want to say a more realistic, but a less pulpy Star Trek and a more action-y Star Trek, while still maintaining it being a Star Trek right. story. It, it just has to have it has to have those themes, and it's 
and it's mostly sweeping themes about, you know, it's usually mixing grand themes about human humanity and philosophy with, you know, with just the importance of personal relationships, you know, and the, you know, the, the importance of, of all these people, you know, in each other's lives, you know, the, the importance they all play to each other because it's basically by, by Star Trek five, it's basically spelled out that these are, you know, this is the only family these people have. These people are all space explorers. They gave up having a normal family and a normal life. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you know, it, it, as they got older, they started realizing it more. But it was still the same back in that they were all they were the only family that they had. And 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 if you notice, there was a theme of <laughs> when usually when Kirk ran into some of his family in in either a TV episode or in one of the movies, they ended up dead pretty soon or were already dead. You know. <laughs> he found his brother dead on the jellyfish, flying jellyfish planet, and his son, as soon as he found his son, that was the that was that was that you know for him. So, yep. So that's got to play into it. This is this is basically you know the this this story is very important because it's about how the family first gets together, and how the it should be about. This movie should be about how the bonds are made between these people that last a lifetime, you know. Right, right, and, exactly. And, you know, and through time, because, you know, there's Spock <laughs> is, you know, here's Spock doing like a big loop on himself. So there's potentially a lot of a lot of meat to this you know there's a potentially a lot of this for them to work with from what we've seen from this comic book and what little we know from the previews mostly from the comic book hopefully hopefully they do a good job god i hope so yeah i do i do too well one thing i i thought was that you know one thing that could really work in its favor is what if it is pretty much a you know a standard Star Trek movie? You know, not necessarily formula. I don't want to use the word formula, but that it is that's okay. Basically, a, a Star Trek movie in in the in the style that we've had before, in the writing style, and that. Yet, what what Abrams is going to bring to it is the the power and the gravitas by his name. To get it the budget that it needs right. for something it's never had before, which is cutting edge effects. Except now I was reading the, the back. One. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was reading the back of a cereal box today that it was uh, one of these uh, Star Trek movie tie-ins. It was advertising like for like a T-shirt or something. You know, you save up the tokens, you get a T-shirt. And one of the things it was talking about on the back of this box was the fact that. This movie is going to feature groundbreaking special effects. And I got to thinking about that. And just strictly off the top of my head, the only groundbreaking effect I can think of that Star Trek ever had in a feature film 
is the morphing technology that they used just a little bit of in Star Trek VI when the shapeshifter would change shape. That was a fairly new movie technology, and right. Star Trek VI was one of the first to ever use it. Well, Beyond uh, that, I mean, correct uh, me if I'm Star wrong. Trek there, Star what did Trek they, II. Star oh, Trek the Genesis the, effect was, oh, that's, yeah, a, very, was a very effect. early computer, really, you know. I mean, that was... I remember when they said, oh, yeah, this wasn't an animation that we drew. This was a computer simulation. Right. It was run. It was an actual, when they when you saw that on the screen, now it didn't run in real time like it could now. You know, I mean, there's, there's consumer-level software, you know, imaging programs <laughs> that you could do that. There's people... Re, there's people shooting Tron scenes with their kids on the light cycles, and it looks exactly like Tron, you know, because the home version of that is up to that level that Disney had then. But right. um, still, it, that was that was way ahead of its time when that happened. I remember being amazed that it was like, "Ooh, that's a real computer simulation. That looks really cool." And they were like. You know, it's not just in a flat animation. This they actually, you know, it 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 mapped out the the shape of the planet and and really gridded out. You know, it was it was one of the first times I really saw wireframes in action. So that was that was pretty state of the art. And but I mean, even something like that, though, you know, when when you know, one of the things that. I've heard as a common criticism against Star Trek, you know, people that don't particularly care for it is, you know, especially if they're Star Wars fans is that Star Trek didn't have enough action. You know, there wasn't enough ship fights and stuff blowing up and all that. But part of the problem is that, well, not only is it not what it's about, but I mean, I, sometimes I have that criticism about it too. And I love Star Trek, but you know, there'd be times when, you know, I'd be sitting down to eat lunch or something, and I'd be like, you know, I feel like watching Star Trek. And I'd be racking my brains to think, you know, what was a good episode of Next Gen that had, like, a lot of, you know, ship battles and phaser fights? And I'd, I'd be racking my brains and think, you know, damn, except for, you know, episode XYZ, you know, I, I, I couldn't think of, like, more than two or three of them that right. really feature that. And it's because that shit's expensive. Yeah. You know, to build models and blow them up and have all these big special effects and all that, that stuff is expensive. So even when you got it, you you got a little bit of it. You know, like, well, say... That's, that's like, a sad thing about Star Trek, and that's a sad thing about our culture and the way our entertainment industry works, is Star Trek, except for Star Trek the motion picture, has always been... Like on a throttled budget, you know, it's always exactly. been, always had the studio breathing down their neck. Even though it's gotta be one of the most valuable and loved and properties with the most legs of any property ever, you know, it just yep. won't die. It's been going on forever, and people still love it. They still love the old stuff, the new stuff. It's in reruns forever. And yet, yet the studio was always trying to make it on the, the cheap. And they're, well, they were always giving it the hairy eyeball, like all of a sudden that they were going to go broke over Star Trek, something that's consistently, and it's all over that initial TV run where it kept getting canceled because the way the fucking Nielsen's worked was 
had no bearing as to, to reality. So an incredibly popular show didn't show up as being popular and was always on the verge of being um, canceled. And I also think since Roddenberry was such a crazed egomaniac that they might have, like, the studios might have exaggerated that to try to, like, always keep him on the defensive to try to keep him from muscling them. Because I'll bet he muscled the studio. He played hardball, I bet. He seems like that kind of guy. So, but, yeah, there was always, in the movies, just the budget just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it got a little bigger, little little kick back up with the first Next Generation movie. And then they kept getting, <clears throat> and, and partially because it was successful. Because they're like, if we can make this cheaper, then our profit ratio is even more so, you know. Right. And, um, and, the, and the thing is, and also all the actors are also like more prone to maybe do what they want to do, what the studio wants them to do. Because they're happy to be going from television to movie land that's another tier of money so all of a sudden and prestige so and so and that's another good thing about star trek is it's not you know the the actors aren't as expensive as a, a until you know until later in the it, well i was gonna say kirk and i'm sure nimoy and shatner were pretty expensive <laughs> after a while and and terms of money and energy but you know yeah it's always got been treated like the redheaded stepchild it's always been just like so maybe this yeah we'll give it the big budget th- and and here's the thing is they gave it the big budget treatment for Star Trek the motion picture it made money but it just didn't right. make enough money and the critics didn't like it well, and it's not, got, I it's and it not got even... slandered a lot, so all of a sudden it was perceived. People perceived that movie as a flop, and it wasn't right. a flop at all. It it made money, oh. it made good money, just not Star Wars money. But it wasn't Star Wars, and Star Wars came first. Yeah, that's the thing is it it, it didn't lose a dime. It made a ton of money. I believe it made past projections. Yeah. But the problem was is that it was a critical bomb. Yeah. Even though it was a, a financial success, it was a critical bomb, and like you say, it it was going pretty much toe to toe with Star Wars, and because it wasn't the Star Wars phenomenon, you know, it didn't basically knock Star Wars off a of king of the hill. Right. Then it was, you know, the the studio did. They treated it like, well, you know, we gave it our best shot and yep. flubbed it. But that's not the truth at all. Yeah. So it is. It's killed me, and you know, it's really it's it's that whole perception of failure from the first one that basically doomed, you know, the everything that followed it to being made on the cheap. And you know, well, you can see Star Trek Five just hemorrhaging from you know, like oh yeah, like starving for money, you know. You can just see it, you know, and uh, and uh, even and Star Trek Six took a step forward, but if you if you like, I remember the last time I watched Star Trek Six, going, all right, I can see that they tried to like jazz it up a little more, get Nicholas Meyer in, make it more like Khan, you know, make it a little more action packed, 
But really, it wasn't special effects-wise too crazy, you know? I mean, there was a lot of stuff. It's like, hey, we'll put Kirk in a Siberia-like prison so they could shoot on location in snowy weather, you know? So it wasn't, you know, a lot of space battles and and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's just a shame. And I, at the same time, that does make you have to write better. And act better. Um, oh sure, I don't, I don't, I don't having, argue that. But at the same rate, but at the same rate, how how nice would it have been just one time beyond the first? You know, that's the irony right there. Is they spent, you know, they they had pretty much an unlimited budget, so to speak. Right. You know, almost literally with the first movie. Yet that's the one that has the 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 most awesome special effects yet the less flashy. I mean there's no space battles, there's no fight with the Klingons or the Romulans, there's no universe threatening thing, you know, where there, they've got there, to fire the photons and the phasers. It, there it's is all... sort of, but it's all very much like a game of battleship, you know. It's like when the Klingons fly into Viger, it's like right. you know they look at it and they shoot a photon torpedo and it flies off into the distance and then all of a sudden a beam comes up at them and they get you know it isn't a dogfight it isn't a there isn't slam bam action everything is big and vast and right. majestic you know everything about it's majestic so um and but the thing is this movie looks like it has a bit of majestic, or not majestic, but epic to it. It's right. got, got a little bit of the epic story. You know, this is the legend of, of Kirk, the epic story of Kirk. So that's, that could be, uh, that could be good. I love doing this time. I hope everybody that listens to this is committed enough to us to come back after this movie comes out and listen to this. And maybe maybe we'll even cut parts of this out and do another show, so we can laugh at how completely wrong we were, or you know, be blown away at how completely on the nose we were about this new movie. Because they've I, I really hope kept we a good turn out on to it. Be wrong. I hope I hope not either. Or if we're wrong, I hope we're wrong in a totally different, in a totally surprising way. You know, we could be totally wrong, and it could be something we didn't anticipate. That's wonderful. Who knows? Well, I just – I've always dreamt of a day when when Star Trek could again have the unlimited budget to just, you know, do do a great Star Trek in, yeah. in the Star Trek style. However, also not have to, you know, save all its money so that it has one good action. You know, like Star Trek Six. Yeah. You can tell in that money in that movie rather where, where the, the money, money was spent. spent. It was yeah. all at the end of the movie when with the big battle, you know, or you know, in some other movies, you know, like Star Trek Fives is the exact reverse. All the money spent at the beginning, and that's why you get kind of a, a a letdown ending because they'd run out of money. They they couldn't afford the big yeah. wow ending. Yeah, you know? so they so, had to throw rubber rocks at the end and yeah. stuff like that. And, so it'd have be the sweet. Of, have the Wizard of Oz yell out of him instead of a giant rock creature. Exactly. So, I mean, it would be sweet to get a, a Star Trek movie where they didn't have to worry about stuff like that. And they could afford to be 
wowing throughout, and that's what I I would well, really like to see. Here's the thing: I think I think also CG takes the budget down a little bit. You know, you can do more spectacular CG mm-hmm. than you can. You know, you can get a more spectacular and realistic space of you know a special effect using CD CG, especially with space. You know, not as much, you know, like with living, like with monsters and stuff like that. CG monsters still look like CG monsters to me. They're more detailed. They may have the flesh wiggling on them like real flesh and be way more realistic than, say, a Ray Harryhausen clay or, you know, a latex rubber thing. But they still haven't (coughs) breached that point of absolute reality yet where they can... Where they, you know, where they, where you just don't, where, where you think of something as, as being real, you know, where you're not like, oh, that's, that's CG. There's still always something about CG that looks CG. And then this Star Trek, right. it's that creature that's going to jump up through the ice. It looks like one of the monsters from, uh, um, Starship Troopers, one of the bugs from Starship right. Troopers troopers and you know you can tell it's a computer generated because a you can't build a model that comes up you know out of the ice with that much detail and the ice breaking like that but it looks like cg but with the spaceships yeah no the spaceships look like spaceships you know they don't have fleshy parts and stuff like that so you know that's that's going to be really cool it looks like the the battles in this look really nifty and Which is something, yeah. They've needed they've needed to have the ability to do in Star Trek for a while now to, to have really awesome space battles. Yeah, some really good wrecked up Federation ships and like a battlefield full of burning, de- you know, pieces of burning and spinning debris and stuff like that. So, you know, sort of the dogfight in the in the Nebula and Khan, but jazzed up into three dimensions. And that's another thing is. Star Trek Star Trek could use a, a three-dimensional jazz up where when you come upon another ship you maybe come upon it you know at a right angle or something like that instead of nose to nose right and all the battles being nose to nose you know sort of have them in three dimensions more they don't have to be darting around like flies like Star Wars but you know it, that that could happen a little bit I've been playing a Star Star Trek video game called encounters where it's like that you can go up and you know you can bring the enterprise up and down which is something i'm not used to seeing in the movies or the tv shows so i thought that was a good neat little effect of it but um yeah yeah i don't want to see the enterprise zipping around like a you know like like, like the X-wing. ships in star yeah like an x-wing like the ships in star wars however you know, I'd I'd still like to see the Enterprise treated like, you know, doing the the old fashioned naval it's a warfare. Schooner. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a majestic schooner. But you know, see that really jazzed up with state of the art effects. You know where, you know where where it is. You know uh, the Enterprise and a and a Klingon warship. You know, exchanging broadsides. Well, that's what I was going to say. Up, you know? It was sort of like um, episode three. There was, there was a lot of good uh, at the beginning. The first dogfight in episode three. There were a lot of 
shots of big ships, you know, pulling up alongside of each other. And yeah, like, like old pirate ships fighting, you know, with the cannons going off and broadsiding each other. And that was, that would work very well in a Star, Star Trek sort of way, you know. Yep, I think so too. Definitely. That that's that's the that's the kind of hopes I have for this as far as you know the the special effects budget and all that. Definitely. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to do our review episode on the movie. We'll have to time it so we both go to see it. I I know enough nerds here that I can get a few people to go see it who'll be jazzed up and sufficiently. I hope. I know. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to hook up if we have any listeners in the local area, in the local Atlanta area, that uh, want to hook up to go see it. You know, when it when it comes out, I'd like no. that because I'm not at the moment. I'm not sure if I'm if I've got anybody that's going to go because I don't well, think I was, my kids are really into going. My wife oh, could really? care less. So. I was going to say like yeah. I would think Logan would at least be. You know, I don't think it's going to be too. You know, it's got to be somewhat child friendly. You know, it's going to have. It'll obviously have some death and you know, violence in it, but it won't have like, Oh yeah. No, I'm not, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm not worried about there being anything that, that I think that, you know, they couldn't handle or what I'm just more, I I just don't think they're into it. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I could be wrong. They might, you know what? They might not be into it, but I'll bet you it could be one of those ones where you'd be, you know, if you drag them to it, you could walk out a hero. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they could be like, I don't want to see that while we're going to see Star Trek. Well, I don't want to go see Star Trek. Well, well, guess what? We're going to see Star Trek, you know. But, you know, lately, anything I've put on Star Star Trek. Trek. Shut up. You're going to go see Star Trek. (laughs) Now go lay down in the corner. Go lay down in the corner. But, you know, lately I've been, you know, playing Star Trek, you know, when when it comes around time to watch episodes for review for, for our Star Trek Monthly Mondays. You know, I'll watch them with the kids, you know, over dinner or something like that. And even if it starts out and they're like, ah, you know, you can tell that it's, oh, God, this again, you know. Still, by the end of it, nine times out of ten, they walk away, you know, from it going, wow, you know, I really like that or that was really cool or, or they at least found some part of it that that they could enjoy. So, yeah, I, I like that. You know, that, that tells me that the show still does have some – ability to appeal even to the 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 youngest of kids you know all these years later that it's not just me it's not just you and i you know that that the show really does still it's universal sway after all this time you know that that's great that's a great feeling it's popular enough that you can just assume that it's just got universal appeal we can assume that the only people that don't that seem to be are the like movie company you know the people who finance this stupid show Right. They're the only ones who don't seem to get it that that if you do if you stick to it and do it right it's a it's a formula it's not a strict formula but it's a formula and if you do the formula right people like it. Right. And that's what Roddenberry invented and he invented good characters that go along with it but it's also been established that you can as long as you work in that framework you can make up all new characters. And uh, and if it works in, in its Star Trek, they will become part of Star Trek. You know, people don't need it all to, you know. It, I mean, I remember that thinking, well, you know, when when 
Next Generation came, I was so involved in my freshman year of college that I didn't have time to, like, think about it much building up to it, but when the premiere episode came on and I went to the student lounge to watch it, I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't know if this is possible, you know. I'm glad Gene Roddenberry's involved, but I just don't see how it could be possible. And I remember walking away from it going, wow, <laughs> not only is it possible, but they did it. <laughs> and and it worked. So I guess it is. I guess there's, you know, it's it's almost, it's limitless as long as there's good writers who are working in, in the right framework. It's, it's going to work. So... That's all I'm hoping is the framework's intact, the philosophy's intact, the the philosophy about life and humanity. You know, if they if they tried to do it as a cynical, dark, modern meditation, gritty, blah blah blah, it wouldn't work. Right. I would. I I I, I who usually can deal with that stuff like, you know, more than. Than you can, or I can put up with it, or whatever. I have a higher tolerance for it. I would run away from that screaming, going, "What the fuck, man? It's not my Star Trek." <laughs> That's my mantra. I don't even think of it as my Star Trek. I can actually think of it as Roddenberry's Star Trek. Right. You know, he was pretty consistent with his philosophy about it, and he was very. He had. It was sort of a mixture of the 50s um, Robert Heinlein sort of philosophy and like the 60s hippie philosophy of, you know, peace and love and everybody getting along type, you know, that, that, that mankind would be evolving into a peacefuler race that would use violence less and have less prejudices and, and, and not would have problems but they would be new problems and they would be more cosmic you know of cosmic importance rather than you know people getting along together and stuff and it was it was always it's it's hopeful it's always like the future is the future is good you know the future isn't isn't a utopia but it's getting there more you know we figured out how to um live without destroying our surroundings and killing each other without it becoming like some sort of weird fascist state or some weird, you know, sort of drugged out utopia where everybody's like on happy pills or, or, you know, or everybody's, uh, unified to the point of there's no conflict or anything, you know, people are still individuals and seem to have, you know, there's like by it's established by next generation that like France is still there's still France is still sort of looks different and speaks French and stuff. You know, it's not like the whole world's homogenized. It's it's a very hopeful and and appealing future, and and hopefully the new Star Trek will stick to that, even though that's not really. Um, um, trendy nowadays to be like that, you know, or that's not the, that's not the way things usually are. They tend to be a little more cynical and down to earth and gritty about it. But, and, and I usually don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem with that in Star Trek. You can have a little grit and grime in Star Trek, but it should be, 
generally optimistic about human beings. Yeah, I, I hope that the new one continues to, to buck that trend and, and continues to portray yeah. a, a positive. Or, you know, if nothing else, then just leave it alone. You know, don't don't even go there. You know, right. just, just give us, you know, the Kirk, Spock, McCoy, soap opera and you right. know, space opera and don't even touch on optimism or pessimism of the future. You know, right. if, if you don't want to, you know, portray that, you know, that, that – happiness and all that then then don't even touch upon it because I, i'd rather it you know not even be mentioned you know more than i'd want them to mess with it you know and, and try to dirty it up because that that continues to be the thing that you know that that i can't get past with deep space nine you know, I did finally watch it all the way through, and I, you know, I did enjoy it. I'm not saying I didn't. I, I it was an enjoyable show. I, I got a lot out of it, but at the same rate, it is still definitely the absolute bottom of my Star Trek pile as far as the shows. You know, the Star Trek incarnations, because it was so far from Roddenberry's vision. It was, it right. was the the grim and gritty. You know, it was it was not a positive portrayal of the future. It was not Roddenberry's vision. And I'm not saying the show didn't have any merit because of that. I'm just saying that if, if Roddenberry were alive, that show never would have existed in the, in the form that it came out because it was basically somebody was brought in to say, look, you know, this is just too Pollyanna. We need to dirty it up. And that's what deep space nine was. And that, that's fine. I'm not knocking it, but it's just, again, (laughs) Not my Star Trek. Yeah. You know what I mean? Doesn't Star Trek appealing to me. Yeah, it just shouldn't be grim and gritty. That's not what the message was. You know, there was a reason why, you know, Star Trek was the way it was and people got along and things like that. And, you know and, that and Kirk would deliver those hokey speeches, you know? Right. And 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 there's I'm not a big fan of hokiness, but I love Kirk's hokey speeches, you know? Right. They're, 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 well, I mean, it's you know, it, it, yeah, exactly. It might be a little corny, but you know, I, I like that. You know, that appeals to the optimist. You know, the yeah. the, the you know the the part of the show that worked. You know, the the message that you know everything's going to be all right in the future. You know, it's not going to be all you know blown up or ruined or a bunch of you know whatever. That it's it's going to be all right. We're going to work it out. I like that, and that's, you know, the the message of Deep Space Nine was completely counter to that, and that's that's a shame. I think that that hurt that show. And I mean, you know, the entire series of that show, I remember when it was airing, there were constant, constant reports in TV Guide and all the fan magazines and you know, all this different stuff. There's constant things like, you know, what's wrong with Deep Space Nine? You know, plummeting ratings. Why is nobody watching? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they'd have write-ups of, you know, Deep Space Nine is getting so good or it's got so good. And now it's doing all this success. Why is nobody watching? It's not a mystery to me, man. When you when you fuck with the formula, you lose the fan base. Yeah. And that's it, it's as simple as that. You can ra- make the greatest... You know, you could write the greatest, well, uh, yeah. you know, Superman story in the world, but if you make Superman, you know, 
wear a pink dress and he's going around ripping people's heads off, you're going to lose a considerable part of your audience because it's not Superman. Right. You know? And that's the same thing with Deep Space Nine. I'm not saying it wasn't a good show. I already said I enjoyed it. However, it's it was more like, you know, some of these other Star Trek like ripoffs shows. than it yeah. yeah, it was it was like a Crapalon Five or something like that. More than it really felt more like one of those those sci fi yeah. channel shows than yeah. it felt like a Star Trek show because it had Star Trek elements but it wasn't faithful to the vision. So you know, that's definitely not what I, I would want to see on the big screen. I, I hope they you know, they, they don't go counter to the to the vision. Well I think uh I think we're probably about ready to wrap this one up. Yep. I um, just wanna just send a, a word of caution out there to uh to JJ Abrams and his cohorts. You know, you, you you finally managed to turn me around a little bit on this whole thing. Uh, you know, I, I read this series and I'm actually for the first time I'm actually a little bit excited rather than just completely nervous, so don't don't fuck it up. Don't let me down. Yeah. Well, we're coming for you, man. Don't be don't 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 turn out to be that douchebag that I keep seeing in the interviews. Let that just be because you're nervous in front of the camera, please. I'm going to have to find you and demand my money back. <laughs> and that won't be pretty. No, it never is. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1585-COP-LURE. That's 1585-267. 5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.